All right, what's up, bros? This is Manevatea. Welcome back for another video. I got the risky cap on. It is cold outside. It's snowing for the first time of the season. And so it looked really beautiful out there. And now the roads are a little bit icy, so we're in for the day. And we're chilling. We're kicking it. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Bitcoin today and why Monero is awesome and better. So that's going to be what we're talking about. There's this uh, investor dude. Not Michael Saylor, Saylor Savior, ASAP Spur. We're going to be talking about Bill Miller, who he retweeted. Frankly, I don't know why I follow Michael Saylor. I don't need that demon in my feed. But uh, nevertheless, we like to rail on him a little bit because, uh, you know, he's just kind of cringe, right? But he's talking about digital gold. We're going to discuss the issues with that. And we're going to be talking about some other things that Bill Miller, who is purportedly a legendary investor, uh, brings up in this little conversation here. We're going to talk about Bitcoin security. We're going to talk about uh, the difference between Bitcoin and gold and precious metals in general. And we're going to be comparing these with Monero. So let's check it out. Let's dig into it. Uh, and remember, guys, if you like the video, like, subscribe, all that stuff. So let's dig in. So, you know, why such confidence in it the, as an investment aside from the fact that it certainly has worked really well and more people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon there's several different several different ways to approach that yeah um i i would say that, that right now it's it's best thought of as digital gold so it's gold is as people have said a store of value for five thousand years right and gold is what people typically fled to. And I just want to say something first off about the whole gold has been the store of value for 5,000 years. It has. It has been a store of value for 5,000 years. And I said this in a tweet. Let me say exactly what I said in the tweet. Because I made a point the other day about how the Bitcoin bros, they look at Monero and they're like, oh, well, Monero's not going to make it NNGMI or whatever they say. Because uh, Bitcoin's first to market, Right. And because it's first to market, it's got uh, the network effect, it's got all that stuff going for it. But the problem with that is, um, is they say Bitcoin's going to overtake gold, right? But gold's been around for 5,000 years, as this legendary investor just said. So I said, Bitcoin bros, quote, Bitcoin is better than Monero because it was first to market, better network effect. Also, Bitcoin bros, Bitcoin is better than gold and silver, even though it's been money for 5,000 years. So I think gold and silver have a little bit better of a network effect for now. Um, but nevertheless, that's just kind of something I wanted to bring up because they kind of shoot themselves in the foot saying that Monero is not going to overtake Bitcoin because Bitcoin is first and more people know about Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. But if you're believing that Bitcoin is going to take over the world, you have to believe that first to market isn't everything right? You have to believe that network network effects can be overcome. And we know that network effects can be overcome because we've seen this with search engines. I mean, you had Ask Jeeves, right? And then Google took over. Uh, you've had other uh, technology companies, which have been overtaken by other technology companies because other companies just market better. They have better, you know, maybe word of mouth advertising. Maybe they just have a better product, right? And so Monero is a better product than Bitcoin. It's fungible, it's private, low transaction costs, uh, it's fast if you rely on the zero confirmation. Uh, it's it's better than Bitcoin. And plus, it doesn't have the security issues, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But that is just something to note first. Let's get back to Bill. To when the governments tried to, uh, you know, inflate them out. And in the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt confiscated everybody's gold in 1933. 
You had to turn it in or you went to jail? So he didn't really confiscate everybody's gold. He just made it illegal to own. And the suckers who listen to the government, isn't there always a price for listening to the government, especially nowadays? If you believed all the medical propaganda that has come out over the last couple of years, you did some things that were probably bad for your health and didn't really help you out in the long run, as Jordan Peterson figured out, unfortunately. I took the jabs, and I was supposed to be able to fly out of Canada without having to stick stuff up my nose and showing passports and things like this, and now they're not letting me out. And yeah, that's just kind of what happens with authoritarian governments, right? And he took the jabs for nothing. And the same thing happened back in 1933. If you were a sucker who turned in your gold... Well, you missed out on some pretty big gains because it went from like $20 to whatever they revalued at, I think it was like $35. So you missed out on a pretty good gain there, about 75%, right? Or something like this. And Peter Schiff notes this, actually. He says, the U.S. government never, quote unquote, confiscated gold. They made it illegal to own gold and asked citizens to turn theirs in. Lots of people didn't and nothing happened to them. The government can do the same with Bitcoin, only it would be easier to punish those who don't turn it in. Exactly. Because it's tracked and traced. <laughs> they know who has bought Bitcoin. Um, unless you got it before the KYC really kicked in. Uh, unless you're able to make the argument that it's no longer in a certain wallet. You shuffled it around a little bit. But my prediction is that they're going to make uh, this Bitcoin shuffling stuff illegal. So the Samurai wallet, the Wasabi wallet, where you do the coin join, they're going to make it illegal. I mean, they've already had bills like the digital asset monitoring bill or whatever that one bill we've talked about before is uh, they've mentioned specifically coin joining and bitcoin mixing and how they're going to be illegal so if they make that illegal well they can associate that activity uh with your wallet and they could flag your bitcoins maybe taint them maybe come to your house or something like this um, or it, they can just track down what your address is from where it is you pulled your funds off the exchange. Most people don't know about coin joining and mixing and all this stuff. And so they're going to be able to figure out who has Bitcoin, who doesn't. And they could easily come to you and say, hey, you need to turn your Bitcoin right now. And if you say, oh, lost my seed phrase, well, they'll just put a tracker on your wallet. And if any th Bitcoins move from that wallet, they'll know that you do have access to the wallet, actually. Um, and they want that Bitcoin, right? So... That is something to note. And by the way, if you think that they can't confiscate your Bitcoin, okay, cool. They can't confiscate your Bitcoin. They can confiscate you, though. <laughs> We're talking about the government. They can arrest people. And the government's becoming ever more dictatorial. Uh, we're seeing this with the whole January 6th thing, and we're seeing this with uh, Julian Assange and other political prisoners. I mean, America does have political prisoners. And this is an ever-increasing trend. The Department of Justice just came out with their own domestic uh, TE. R-R-O-R unit. I don't know if I can say that. And they're coming after the domestic population. They're turning all of these surveillance systems and all of the intelligence agencies that were once oriented towards foreign enemies against its own population. This is what happens with collapsing empires and such. But, you know, Soviet Union, right? I mean, are you going to tell the Stasi who come to your door? Are you going to tell the NKVD? oh, you can get my Bitcoin if you can try. No, they're just going to put a gun to your head and take it to a gulag. <laughs> like, that's uh, the government for you. So, you know, you don't want them to know that you have it in the first place, which is why Monero is awesome. We have stealth addresses, which means nobody knows how much Monero we have. Nobody even knows if we have it. So that's pretty key. Let's move yeah. on. So they can't confiscate your Bitcoin because there's nothing. They, if you hold it securely, as long as you have an Internet connection, you can, you can uh, send it somewhere instantaneously at very low very low cost. Not as low cost as Monero. 
And the reason I, I the reason I, I, I like the insurance company analogy is because And one thing to note is you can send it for low cost. You can send Bitcoin for low cost, but to transact in gold, it's basically free. Uh, if you're doing it locally. And I think that local economies are going to be propping up more and more and more because of the collapsing supply chain. I actually think that we could be seeing peak globalization right now, and we could be seeing a decentralization movement, and we could be seeing people getting to know their local farmers, maybe growing their own food, and doing business kind of under the table with you know, everyday people, their neighbors, etc. We could see more of that, in which case if you have gold and silver... You don't need the internet. You don't need electricity. You got it in your hand. You give it to them, boom. Because if you think about, people talk about the intrinsic value of Bitcoin. This is a Warren Buffett argument, that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. It doesn't have any earnings. It'll never pay any dividends. Uh, and so, so how do you even think about something like that? It, it is a new technology. It's something that couldn't be done before. But in any case, the, the answer that I have to that is, well, I mean, what's the, what's the intrinsic value of that? Mickey Mantle baseball card that sold for five and a half million dollars. It's just cardboard, and it, it doesn't even have a legend. It could be counterfeited very easily. Uh, or what's the intrinsic value of a Picasso painting, which is just canvas and paint? Uh, and so these are terrible arguments, right? And let's explain why. So Bitcoin is supposed to be a currency. <laughs> it's supposed to be money. And one of the fundamental, and we've talked about this many times, one of the fundamental elements of money is that it's fungible, right? A Mickey Mantle baseball card is non-fungible okay a picasso painting is non-fungible like who cares if it's even counterfeited uh it looks different from other paintings it looks different from other things in reality you can't make an accounting ledger out of mickey mantle baseball cards uh i mean even if you tried to do that you know different cards are going to be from different years they're going to be bended maybe they're not going to be in perfect condition and so yeah they're non-fungible they can't be used as money you're talking about bitcoin here and that's why they're shifting to digital gold and even then, that's a bad idea. I mean, because gold, gold is gold, right? Uh, it's actually fungible. Now they're starting to put like chips in it. We've talked about that here on the channel. Go check out our um, uh, The Internet of Things Comes for Gold and Silver, I think is the name of the video. But uh, yeah, you, with Bitcoin, you don't want to compare it with <laughs> baseball cards because you're kind of telling the world, yeah, it's not fungible. It's not money, right? Uh, that's where the whole digital real estate thing comes from. I think that's what I meant to say. People are saying that to buy Bitcoin is to get a piece of digital real estate. I mean, this is just ridiculous, right? We've gone from digital cash, as said by Satoshi in the white paper, to digital gold. And now we're talking about digital real estate, right? Which is ridiculous. It's all about the quote-unquote digital scarcity, right? Uh, but there are issues with the whole digital scarcity thing. And we'll get to that when we talk about security. But also, um, people can just jump into different cryptos that they think sound cooler than Bitcoin. Right. Uh, that's why when it comes to store of value, I like to think that silver and gold are the most optimal forms of store of value. When it comes to cryptocurrency being a currency, a medium of exchange, Monero is just the best uh, because it's fungible, because it's fast, because it's um, private and everything like that that we talk about. So that is something to know. And by the way, you can figure out if a Picasso painting or a Mickey Mantle baseball card is counterfeited or not i mean that's not that difficult uh they have things in place for that you know maybe a frame but people will pay millions or tens of millions of dollars for it and it, so it comes down at the very basic level for supply and demand so bitcoin is the only economic entity where um the supply is unaffected by the demand 
So even with gold, if gold, which is $1,800 today, if gold goes to $18,000, there will be a lot more gold mined because mines that are unprofitable will, will become profitable. And so gold, which, which accretes today, the production of gold is about equal to about 1 1.5% to 2% of the total value per year. And that's the same uh, accretion that Bitcoin has currently. Uh, that, it won't for long. But this year, 2022, I think will drop below 1.5% on that. So only, only 21 million Bitcoin can ever be created or close to it. It doesn't matter if Bitcoin is 100,000 or, or 20 million, there's only going to be that many of them. So, um, so here's the thing with the whole gold thing. Um, yes, if the price of gold goes up, that's going to incentivize gold miners to go out there and, you know, mine more gold. Gold mining and Bitcoin mining are different. And that sounds obvious, but let me explain this when we get to the security part of the conversation. First off, just because gold miners go out there to mine more gold does not necessarily mean that the gold price is just going to remain stable. Um, the value of the gold relative to the currency may remain stable. But I just want you to look at this chart real quick and note that, yes, the price of gold does go up. This is going back to 2002 when it was at about $400. Now it's at about $1,700. Or no, it's at about 1800 Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's gone up pretty significantly. It's gone up 540%, uh, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, it's not gone up relative to the S&P uh, too much. But uh, I do want to note that there is the paper derivatives manipulation in gold and silver. I think just about everybody knows about this now. I mean, with the inflation the way it is, I mean, even if you were to consider silver to just be like a monetary metal and everybody's going into crypto instead of gold and silver, okay, silver is still an industrial metal that's used in a lot of industrial um, operations and manufacturing um, operations. The price of silver has gone absolutely nowhere over the last couple of years, even with inflation, even with the extra demand that it's had as a monetary metal and the extra demand for being incorporated into electric vehicles and things like this, solar panels, etc. And that's because it's manipulated. Everybody knows this now. Um, the price of silver back in 1980 was $50, double of what it is now, more than double. And adjusted for inflation, that $50, if this were to reach that all-time high, would have to be like $400, $500. How is it possible that this is kept so low? Well, it's because of the paper derivatives market. We've talked about that in uh, different videos, but that information is pretty well known now. Um, but if you want asymmetric asymmetric returns on gold and silver, you'll get it as soon as the paper derivative market crashes, but I don't know when that's going to be. Nobody really does. Wall Street Silver does a pretty good job tracking um, the amount of silver and gold that are left in the COMEX vaults, and the speculation is once that gets down enough, there may be a little bit of a run on the physical to the point where the paper derivatives market breaks, the physical market takes over for price discovery, and then these things just kind of go to the moon from there. But uh, people wanted to compare the price of Bitcoin to the price of silver and gold. Um, if they're not talking about the manipulation of the price of these metals, then they're not really being engaged in an honest conversation. Let's just put it that way. Plus, you have to account for the adoption trend of cryptocurrency into the world and blockchain technology, etc., which makes the price and its value go into kind of S shape. It's not going to index inflation per se, 
um, it, there's going to be an adoption curve to that. So that is something to note there. And if you're wondering why they manipulate the price of silver and gold down, well, it's because they're competitors to the U.S. dollar. These things typically index inflation. And given what we know about how fudge the CPI is and all of the indices that they use to track inflation, um, you would understand that they're going to fudge these as well, however they can, because they want to hide how badly the devaluation of the currencies are. And if these start to go up significantly, people are going to be alarmed about inflation because these are historical inflation barometers. So you've got that. And then you've also got the industrialists who use this stuff in making their products. And if these things go up in value a lot, then that's going to make their products more expensive. That's going to make inflation look worse. And that's a problem, right? So that's something to consider. All you have to really believe is that the demand for Bitcoin will grow faster than one and a half percent, you know, over the next number of years and the price inexorably will go up. So I, I, I've only recently been allowing myself to be described as a Bitcoin bull. So, yeah, then he talks about whatever. But um, let's talk about security real quick, because there's never been a money which has been limited in its supply the way that Bitcoin has. Never. It's still an untested theory that this works. Um, now, there are benefits to this uh, for the most part. If you have a money which is, for the most part, deflationary and the supply is capped, people are going to be less inclined to spend money on things that they don't need because the value of their money is always going to be going up because of the scarcity element. And so that's a good thing because it encourages people to allocate their capital more intelligently and rationally. But here's the thing. Um, there is a security issue that seems to be uh, endemic into Bitcoin. And we're going to read this thread real quick. Tracervator, a buddy of the channel, has another thread on his Twitter. Uh, we don't have the time to get into that. He's got like a hundred, uh, what do they call it, parts of that thread. And he goes deep into the Bitcoin security issues. Uh, and if you want to get more detail on this, we've talked with Arctic Mine. This is the main reason that he moved from Bitcoin into Monero. And he doesn't own any Bitcoin. He thinks that this is a a fatal problem for Bitcoin going into the future is the limited amount of Bitcoin and the lack of incentive for miners to continue to mine this stuff. Because when it comes to Bitcoin mining, it's different from gold mining because once you mine gold, it's out of the ground, right? You got it in your hand, you can give it to people, the value's there. But with Bitcoin, it's not just like bringing Bitcoin into existence, right? It is to transact, to process transactions, right? And so if you're no longer getting more Bitcoin, quote-unquote, out of the ground, then what's the incentive for you to continue to process those transactions? Because both are kind of needed. Um, nobody knows the answer to this question, right? It's still a theory. And nobody knows for sure whether or not there's going to be enough hash rate to secure the Bitcoin blockchain and whether or not there's going to be enough incentive for that. One more thing before we get to this, and we'll see this uh, argument in the comments. Oh, well, the hash rate's continually going up. I mean, we're going to be able to handle this as long as the hash rate continues to go up. The question is, where is that hash rate coming from? Because increasingly, and we've talked about this numerous times on the channel, 
the hash rate is coming from corporate Bitcoin miners here in the United States. And if those corporate Bitcoin miners, which are able to mine this stuff pro more profitably than the marginal miner, who is like you and me, maybe with our full node on our laptop or whatever, or our ASICs rig, um, then they're going to be regulated by the authorities and by OFAC. And I think that the United States is going to, at some point, get over 50% of the hash rate. And at that point, um, if those pools end up being regulated by OFAC and the Canadian pools end up being regulated by similar authorities, then they're going to be able to censor transactions. And they're going to be able to blacklist addresses and they're going to be able to control the Bitcoin blockchain like you have no idea, right? And if they can't get that control, then they're just going to do a crackdown when their central bank digital currency comes out, similar to what happened in China. That's the theory. And given that this is so easily traced and tracked, and given that Bitcoin mining operations can be seen by some of these new technologies they're coming out with to monitor carbon emissions, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult to keep this thing going. So... I just want that to be sort of the background for our conversation here. And this is from Morgan T. Bennett. Thanks, Morgan, for posting this. Uh, just gave him a follow. Maybe you should give him a follow, too. He seems to have some pretty cool content. He says, 9 out of 10 people holding Bitcoin. Hold on. Did I move my... Oh, no. I didn't move my camera. Oh, well. We'll, we'll just keep going. So... <laughs> I'm a little bit rusty, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a little bit rusty. It's been a while since we made a video. Um, he says here, 9 out of 10 people holding Bitcoin still have no idea that Bitcoin security is continuously weakening. Yeah, I heard that the block reward is getting smaller, but the fees are replacing it, right? Quote, unquote, no, not right. Some updated data on the Bitcoin security. Exhibit A, uh, security budgeted block reward plus fees in relation to Bitcoin market cap over the last 11 years. Um, and I meant to show you guys this. So check out the gold prices and silver prices. That was supposed to be in the prior thing. Forgive me. Uh, so check out the security budget to market cap ratio here. Continually going down. So that's something to note. Uh, and then he says here, quote, why do you divide by the market cap? Better use transaction volume as the denominator. Okay, then. Exhibit B, Bitcoin security budget in relation to transaction volume. That has a downtrend, a downtrend as well. Exhibit C, if fees were to replace the block reward, the ratio of fees over issuance, F divided by I, would go up forever. And it just dropped to 2013 levels, apparently. So... He says, the fact major Bitcoiners are avoiding this topic like the devil avoids holy water. As soon as they see you, know what you're talking about. Uh, indicates that's a problem. I don't, I don't know if you finished that sentence, but he gives examples here. Um, the big brands in crypto have been warning about the potential dangers for years. And Arctic Mon is one of those people he caught on to this pretty early. Again, go check out our talks with him. He goes into detail as to the issues with that. And that's why he likes Monero, because we have a tail mission. We have dynamic block size. We've anticipated the issues with that. And by the way, mining is ASICs resistant. And we were talking about some of the issues with that earlier in the video. Uh, because of RandomX, you can mine this stuff with your laptop. You can mine this stuff anywhere in the world. You can do it privately. Nobody knows about it, which is why whenever there are like geopolitical events that go on, kind of like in Kazakhstan or with China, 
the Monero hash rate is shown to be incredibly robust and anti-fragile. So he says, uh, the information asymmetry is insane. Does Elon Musk have a clue about this? Would Michael Saylor openly talk about this? I'm not even sure if this dude, whoever this guy is, uh, I think that's uh, Blankman or whatever his name is, would know about this, and he's quite brilliant. If you care about Bitcoin, you do want to talk about this. Uh, so he's got another comment here. He's got like a chart, and this shows the predicted security model for Bitcoin, how it's not lining up to what has been anticipated. In fact, it's not lining up in a in a good way. So that's something to note. And let's see. Like, yeah, this guy right here, he says the hash rate is going up. How does this correlate to security weakening? Um, so you have to notice, again, where the hash rate is coming from, in my opinion. Let's say the hash rate continues to go up. You have to note that BlackRock, uh, which is essentially just another name for the financial global elite. <laughs> They're investing heavily in American corporate Bitcoin mining operations. And given that our energy over here is much weaker than anywhere in the world for the most part, even though it's still getting more expensive, uh, is incentivizing so many people to come to the United States and mine Bitcoin. Okay, so that means that we could go over 50% here in the United States. And do you think like the institutional investors do you think blackrock with all this esg stuff going on which by the way isn't just environmentally oriented but it is uh socially oriented and governmentally oriented do you think that they won't want to have control over who can use the platform who can't use the platform who can transact who can't transact similar to paypal similar to uh you know venmo or whoever who just came out with new regulations to send 1099 contracts to anyone who processes over $600 on the on the platform of course they will of course they will. that's what governance and social uh, dynamics in the ESG thing is all about so they're going to work with the government because it's pretty much a fascist government which we have here in the United States which doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means it means a merger of state and corporate powers they're going to collude in order to try to get control over the Bitcoin blockchain especially if they're coming out with their own CBDCs and they see Bitcoin as competition right so that's something to note. That's something to note. And the last thing I want to talk about in this video, and we were talking about gold before. This dude just has a funny comment real quick. He says, uh, Bitcoin will never replace gold as long as there are women. <laughs> women do not understand math or computer science. They understand gold is shiny. This is why central banks across the world accumulate gold, if you understand this. So that's kind of funny, right? That's kind of funny. Uh, and it's kind of true. Right? Not necessarily maybe the math or the computer science, even though there is an IQ thing. But, um, <laughs> like, yeah, gold is shiny. Bitcoin's not shiny. So gold's going to stick around probably, right? Women like jewelry. So that's why gold maybe is – that's one reason why gold's store value. A lot of Indians buy for weddings and stuff, and I don't anticipate that changing. So let's just listen to – this is another tweet by Untraceable. I have a lot of Untraceable tweets on my videos. He's got some pretty key takes. Listen to Peter McCormick, uh, Abra CEO. They discuss the biggest issue with Bitcoin today, which isn't the security issue. It's the fungibility issue, which we talked about. So check it out. But I used to think that the biggest challenge for Bitcoin was scalability. I talked about it all the time. I no longer think that's true. I think that by far 
the number one issue for Bitcoin is fungibility. And if Bitcoin doesn't deal with this issue, you are effectively going to have a bifurcated Bitcoin world where you have all of this money that comes from Bitcoin, I mean, that comes from China, places that, uh, you know, FinCEN doesn't like, maybe Iran. It it got touched by somebody inadvertently via uh, an unwhite listed address six transactions back, which, by the way, happens with paper money all the time. It's just it's untraceable. Okay. Uh, with drugs and other things. I mean, just look at, do a forensic analysis on the average paper money. It's unbelievable. Fecal matter, drugs, and all kinds of other shit. Um, but you can, you can, you can trace Bitcoin today because it's not truly fungible yet. Meaning one Bitcoin is not really one Bitcoin in terms of its history. If we don't address, we meaning the technical community doesn't address this fungibility problem, in my humble opinion, it's going to get really bad. And you're going to have different uh, UTXOs actually worth different amounts of money in dollars. UTXOs basically being the outputs that haven't been spent that can trace their history in a quote-unquote clean way from the government's perspective versus a dirty way, which, by the way, is just some arbitrary distinction that some overseer made up, which is completely orthogonal to the idea of a decentralized currency with no off switch. The only way, the only way that I can see to stop this problem from happening is to integrate true fungibility into Bitcoin. And once you've done that, they have nothing to say about it. Well, this is what the Monero guys have been talking about quite a bit. If you follow their conversation. Of course. Uh, yeah. And, and- <laughs> Doug did a Monero talk with Peter and he had no idea what fungibility meant. <laughs> and this is like the biggest Bitcoin bro on the planet bitcoin right (laughs) and uh he's like fungibility let me look that up real quick yeah it's kind of a big deal bro and uh now they're talking about monero now will they ever conceive monero is better than bitcoin uh because they make too much money talking about bitcoin uh but it's a pretty big deal let's see what people say though well this is what the monero guys have been talking about quite a bit if you follow their conversation of course uh, yeah and and look (laughs) yeah whatever people say about altcoins monero is one that's kind of interesting there are people who are maxis who actually don't mind monero but the monero argument on fungibility is an important one (laughs) you can kind of see the cognitive dissonance kicking in there he's like uh you know altcoin it's an altcoin it's over there it's not bitcoin right he just tried to you know spin those wheels a little bit and uh categorize it to the dirty class you know the young cleaned altcoin class but it is going to be the biggest deal in the world and honestly guys think about this think 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 bitcoin is a monetary system which means it's an accounting ledger that's what money is supposed to do it's supposed to account for who owes who what who owns what who owns what in the civilization and who owes what like you guys know what i mean so if bitcoin has units of value which are valued different from one another how can the accounting system work it can't because you don't know what those numbers on the accounting system actually represent you don't know if their values are actually rational and intelligible it's there's supposed to be an objective element to that yes value is subjective but there needs to be kind of an objective way that we can get we can determine value right numbers have to mean what numbers mean and there has to be consistency with that which if you don't have a fungible currency can't work so that's why Monero is awesome so i think that's the last thing i want to say 
I'm a little bit disappointed that I forgot to pull back my screen, but uh, it doesn't matter. You guys still heard the acoustics. I think we still got the information across. And my hat is still on my head, and I feel very warm. <laughs> so, uh, How long did we go on for? 32 minutes. It's a good video. So leave comments, guys. Let me know what you guys think of uh, what we talked about here today. Bill Miller. Did we ever finish him? I, I think he just ended up talking about himself. Oh, I'm such an awesome investor, bro. I put half of my uh, net worth into Bitcoin. Yeah, that's going to be fun, bro. And I'm still waiting to see what happens to our friend Bukele in El Salvador. My opinion is this. If Bitcoin goes down to like $30,000, $25,000 maybe, if this bear market really starts to tear into the guy, oh, dude, the CIA is going to take that guy out. <laughs> because... The people in El Salvador are going to be pissed because they're going to be like, oh, our awesome dictator just bought Bitcoin with all of our money, all of our tax funds at the top, made us use this crap and lose all of our money. Uh, let's let's kick this guy's butt. So, And then the CIA may capitalize on this and take the guy out because uh, he kind of shafted the World Bank and the IMF and said, we're getting off your system. We're going to be Bitcoin bros over here in El Salvador with the volcanoes and stuff. Who knows? Maybe it happens. Maybe it goes back up and he succeeds. I don't think so because what we just talked about here. They should move to Monero. They should move to Monero. But we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I think there was just a story recently, actually, about how he used like some Israeli software to track uh, journalists or something like this. So maybe he likes Bitcoin because he can track what all of his citizens are doing. After all, he's a dictator, right? So... Yeah, that's uh, all there is to say. Let me know what you guys think. Check us out on social media. Check us out on Gab, on Twitter, on Odyssey. Check us out on Odyssey, please. That's where all the base takes go. Uh, in the comments, we have some base listeners over there. And there is somebody that I wanted to bring up. I'll bring it up in another video who got kicked off uh, YouTube. And I think his PayPal got shut down. And everybody in the comments was saying on his Odyssey, hey, you need to move over to Monero. That is how... We can financially interact with each other without censorship, without any third parties wanting to get into our stuff, and we can pay each other with the people's money, true fungible private crypto digital cash, which is the future, right? It is the future, man. So that's all. My name is Mateo. Hope you enjoy the video. Take care. God bless.